0: Welcome to the St Albans Podcast, bringing you news, views and reviews for the City and District of St Albans, in association with the Hearts Advertiser.
1: Hello and welcome along to another edition of the St Albans Podcast with me, Danny Smith. Uh, coming up on the show this time round, we have uh, our very own literary correspondent, Claire Hobber, with more book suggestions uh, for us. Uh, but before that, let's go straight over to uh, Matt Adams and Laura Bill from the Hearts Advertiser. And Laura, welcome back. Uh, we missed Hello. you last week, but we're, we're glad that you're here in, in fine fettle, as I believe people say. Yeah. Back in oh, the, I have heard that from, from no, like, sort since
2: of dinosaur times. Yeah, yeah. Fine fettle. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to start using that. Yeah, I like kind Adams. Of old you like these old expressions, mm. don't you? Yeah, or, or as he calls Fabo. them, expressions. <laughs> aces. Yeah. First time you messaged me that aces. I was like what?
1: I don't know what that means. Isn't that a clothing thing online? No, no. It's that ASOS, isn't it? Close. It's
3: clothes. Lots of aces. Right. In a row. Okay. More it's than one ace. My
1: favourite
2: is Fabo. Mm.
1: Okay. <laughs> one of those those little chocolate things used to get shaped like a frog. Uh, it's Freddo. Fredo. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, I'll I tell you what, Should we do with news instead? Because w- we know more about that. Um, oh, I wouldn't count on it. Quite <laughs> a fine endorsement for your uh, newspaper. <laughs> Where are we starting?
3: Right. We're starting in the Colneys. Um, now, um, for some time, there have been um, plans for 6,000 homes to be built on the doorstep of Colney Heath and London Colney. This was a garden village that was proposed by Hartsmere Borough Council. Um, basically, they just wanted to lump it there uh, so it wouldn't affect any of their uh, constituents now last week um the um Hartsmeer have pulled their local plan their draft local plan and, um, they have re- responded to lots of objections from their residents about the plan in general so they've scuppered it gone back to the drawing board now this is being news is being celebrated in london colney and colney heath uh they're saying that you know it means that this development which is called Bow- bowman's cross isn't going to take place uh, you know it's, it's a, a you know real lesson for people power and stuff which is great but then one of the um, the chairman of Colony Heath Parish Council who said is actually less confident about victory he said it's, he thinks it's more likely because all they're going to do is go back and then look at their, their plans and think right where's the where's the place we can put the largest number of houses mm-hmm. without upsetting anyone um, in our council area and mm. that's that's here so it could still happen
1: Okay, and it's uh, over twelve thousand homes. Is that right?
3: Well, that's the, what the plan is in total. But this was a sp- a specifically six thousand homes in this garden village. I don't know if you know that part of the world. Do you know it around there, Coney Heath?
2: Not really. Not that of So somewhere between Coney Heath and
3: London, Coney. Yeah, but it, it would be so big that it would basically merge them all together. They coalesce into one big urban sprawl.
2: The thing is, I don't. For a start, Coney Heath and London Coney are both really friendly, lovely places with strong communities good shops you know i yeah. always feel like london coney gets a bad press sometimes when it you know i know many people who've grown up there who are like super happy and stuff i used to work in london coney at a hostel there um it's got everything you need it's e- easy access but it would you it would motorway. lose that
3: character if you had something like this on there because it would yeah, put a huge amount of pressure on the schools the, the people facilities. whinging about not
2: wanting the houses there though it's always the people that have already got the nice house and it's all sorted You know, like there's tons of people that need places to live.
3: No, I do agree. They've got to build them somewhere. It's very difficult, isn't it? Because
1: you get get that sort of, they call that that nimbyism, don't Mm. they? Not in my backyard. And and these people who think, oh, it's a great idea in principle, but I don't want it near me. Mm. So put it somewhere else and then Mm. they don't mind. I think
3: you could have some housing there, but 6,000, that's a huge amount. That's, a you know, is a proper village lumped in one place. And if you're going to do that, you need all the infrastructure, you need the you know, the transport links, you can't just do it and expect everyone else to sort of, you know, pick up the pieces, because even those people that need homes would struggle in an area where, you know, there aren't school places, the the roads are congested, there aren't, you know, enough doctor surgeries or anything, because nobody's put the the infrastructure in place. Now, Matt, you're, you're old. Um, I am. <laughs> am
1: I not right in thinking, though, that some of the cities that we now know of around the country... Started off as smaller villages where they, the building grew so much that they just became a bigger city. I mean, like Hemel Hempstead came out of like a load of different little villages that eventually all Did kind it? of. I don't know. Did I you not know that? No, I didn't know that. No, I know the, Stevenage
3: was, was a was a, a little village. Yeah,
1: because Hemel Hempstead's a relatively new town, isn't it? So it's it's post-war, and before that, you had uh, Gade Bridge and you had Boxmore, and you had these little villages around there that oh. all kind of be, and they just grew, I guess, and and they must have grew to the point that they overlapped and you know became one place. And so, I, I don't know if there are many others like that, but uh, my guess would be that that might be you know what over time that's what happens and maybe sadly perhaps some of these places lose their unique identity because they've grown to the point that they merge together Mm. Uh, elstree and boron wood i mean that's a isn't that fairly indistinguishable as which bits which
3: yeah you're right it is yeah yeah i guess i mean in the you know back in the day that was uh, you know that could happen but you're running out of space to do it (laughs) effectively you know you can't if you're merging everywhere um, with somewhere else, then you know, where's the countryside? Where's the, you know, the? But it's always
2: that is always what rich people say. It's always a rich people's argument, rich. isn't it? I th-
1: I I think you could one could argue that. Yeah, I think that that that's something because in some ways the way this impacts them is potentially that they they lose a nice view or they yeah. lose yeah, their yeah. A bit yeah. of their Whereas land. Whereas
2: if you're uh, on the street or living in a caravan or staying with your mum when you're in your forties, you you know,
1: don't look at me. And I don't. She was <laughs> <laughs> just visiting, all right. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, it, it's it's yeah. When you're at the other end of that, mm. you know, you're gaining somewhere to live. When you're when you're at the wealthier end of that, you're potentially losing yep. something yep. that a young uh, a different person might mm. think of as a luxury. You know, mm. oh well, so what? That your your view is going to be impinged now by a, a housing development. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's, it's difficult, and, it and the council have to balance that, and they have to do what they think is best for everyone, and, and one hopes that they're doing that with the purest of intentions and not through any other motivation. Absolutely. Okay, well, I guess this will rumble on. And, and As they
3: usually do. Yeah. How many times do we say that? <laughs>
1: we'll have more from Laura and Matt a little bit later. Our very own literary correspondent Claire Hobber is with us now. Uh, hello, Claire.
4: Hello, Danny. How are you?
1: Hi, I'm I'm good. So this month uh, we're talking uh, about books about refugees. Um, each month you come up with a different theme for um, for your book choices for your recommendations for us, and uh, yeah, you, you 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 never cease to amaze me with how creative your themes can be, and uh, and I can never really guess from the title what books are likely to be contained therein. But uh, but yes. Te- Tell us uh, tell us about your first choice on books about refugees.
4: Well, I guess we've been um, in this COVID period, which has been quite depressing and difficult. So we've been using the magic carpet element of books, haven't we, to go somewhere different. And we've maybe been somewhere hot or somewhere foreign or somewhere completely fantastical. But there's also this magic carpet aspect, which can tell us about somebody else's life really and get us to emphasize and sympathize in a way that we haven't before so um the book that i've just read which has completely blown me away is american dirt by janine cummings and it's from 2020 and it tracks a mother lydia and her daughter luca who are on the run from a drugs cartel in mexico Um, And their journey, they take the journey that many other migrants do who are in fear of their lives or have no other way of earning some money to get out to the north to the United States of America where they can get uh, better paid work and escape from the danger that they're in. And um, I wanted to read you actually a little bit from that book because it kind of tells us what a book about... Being a refugee or a migrant can do for us. So Lydia, who's the main character, it says she'd been aware of the migrant caravans coming from Guatemala and Honduras in the way comfortable people living stable lives are peripherally aware of destitution. She heard their stories on the news radio while she cooked dinner in her kitchen. Mothers pushing strollers thousands of miles Small children walking holes into the bottom of their pink crocs. Hundreds of families banding together for safety, gathering numbers as they walked north for weeks, hitching rides in the back of trucks whenever they could, riding the freight trains whenever they could, sleeping in football stadiums and churches, coming all that way to the north to plead for asylum. Lydia chopped onions and cilantro in her kitchen while she listened to their histories. They fled violence and poverty, gangs more powerful than their governments. Um, And it says, but she just went on cooking her dinner, and then if she ran out of garlic, she felt cross, and she'd forgotten all about the migrants again. And then one day, because her life is threatened by a drugs cartel, she becomes one of them. And I guess, without having to go through the trauma that Lydia does, if we read a book that follows the path of a refugee or a migrant, um, we'll get some sort of insight into their life
1: okay i mean it, it sounds um it sounds like it's a whole world away from from where we are but at the same time yeah immigration is is something that uh you know kind of really affects everyone these days and it certainly is is a thing here you know we we, we have had um you know influxes of people from different parts of the world where there's trouble and and so it's not not just something that happens elsewhere anymore but but uh but this uh it it sounds initially like quite a nice, you know, Acapulco. You think, well, that sounds like a wonderful setting, but then it, I don't know, it, it it obviously it shows that that you know you scratch beneath the surface and and there's another whole side to things.
4: Well, I guess you're absolutely right. I guess what it shows in this book is that Acapulco changed. So it was a great, quite cultural seaside city. Maybe I suppose a little bit analogous to say Brighton here, um, and. Uh, things changed, a cartel moved in, and they were more powerful than the police, more powerful than the government. So if you got into trouble with them, and our sort of middle class Lydia gets into trouble with them, because her husband's a journalist and writes about the leader of the cartel. And they are more powerful than anybody who might protect you. And your life isn't your own anymore. You won't get justice. So you have to lead. So uh, the way it works is, is that we can all identify with her living a nice life in a, a, a nice place. You know, she's not mega rich or mega successful but just an identifiable sort of pleasant ordinary life and I think as she goes through her experience of running away under the most terrible conditions with other migrants who also some of them have got on the wrong side of the cartels or merely that there's no economic life anymore in the area where they live because of all the drug stealing and so forth and so she counts her blessings effectively on her journey things that she used to grumble about she, she wishes she had now you know so mm. um but what i have to say about this book and, and the others is because um what they go through uh, there's no way that the writer has to invent danger and tension They are gripping books, so although they're really difficult to read from the point of view of empathy and the point of view of these people's experience, they're also books that pull you through because there's one obstacle after another that that these people face in their journeys, and you're rooting for them because of the skill of the writer and and the sympathetic characters, and you're hoping that they come through. And uh, so in one way, they're very difficult books to read. In another way, you can't put them down. They're some of the most unputdownable books I've read.
1: I mean, that's quite an endorsement, um, and 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 not only are you uh, very uh, effusive about it, but I see that it was an Oprah Book Club pick, that uh, that that is something that's quite highly sought after, and a New York Times bestseller as well, nonetheless. So uh, that's um, American Dirt. Oh, also I see here that. Um, uh, someone from my book group rated it four stars and she's very hard to please she's right hard work hello Rachel if you're listening so um <laughs> if she liked it as well then it can't be half bad that's um American Dirt by J- Janine Cummings is that how have I yeah. said her name correctly I hope so that is Janine yeah
4: <laughs> looks like Janine doesn't that, it it felt slightly unusually yeah but yeah. Janine I would say
1: okay that yeah American Dirt by Janine Cummings Hi, I'm Chris Aikman. Join
4: me, local author Howard Linsky, and St Albans podcast producer Sam Rolfe for the St Albans Film Guide. Each week, one of us will guide you through the new releases at the cinema and on streaming services. We'll also give you our choice of the best films to watch on UK free-to-air TV for the forthcoming week. So if you're a film lover, join us for a chat about all things movie-related every week as part of the St Albans podcast. New episodes will be released every Friday morning,
1: for more information, visit silverspodcast.com or find us where any good podcasts are found. We're back with the dynamic news duo of uh, Laura and Matt. Uh, what's next?
2: Yes, yes, yes. Well, we had the privilege, didn't we, of going to a really nice, um, lovely home in um the other day. that has been set up by two ladies um, who give up their own time for free to... Um, provide a really lovely place for people who don't have anywhere to live. Yes. Hope House Hope in Wheat Hampstead, yeah. it's called.
3: Run by... It's Is it run by Action for... St Albans Action for Homeless? Directly or is yeah. it...
2: Yeah. Sharon Linney and... Um, Lynn Dutton. Lynn Dutton. Yeah, they realised when they were doing their soup runs and things uh, and working with the homeless on the street that there was nowhere really for people to go... Um it was really really homely and so they looked into it and f- spent four years trying to figure out how to make a you know really nice homely place and it is beautiful isn't it yeah
3: yeah it's a pro- it is a it's not a hostel a ha- at all in any way for those i think i have up to four young men who live in there and it's you know you wouldn't you you know i would love to live there it's really nice but nice house yeah. You know, it's been um, furnished by um, donations from the St Albans Reuse Project Facebook group.
2: It's even got the same kitchen tiles as family, Adam's Child's Fielder, hasn't it?
3: Yeah, and it's got one of our wardrobes. Has it? Yeah, we donated a wardrobe.
2: Oh, lovely. I know.
1: Giving yeah. so, a look back. So I read this story because uh, you put it online uh, recently and uh, one of the things I thought was really inspirational about this was the fact that, that, that Sharon and Lynn saw a local need and they they... they Went And they, they really sort of try to <clears throat> understand the, the needs of, you know, that they witnessed. And they've yeah. done something so positive about it. And I think often you can find charities and local things as well that they don't work that way around. You know, somebody has a great idea, they want to do something. And then they try to fit the need into what they mm. want to do mm. they've done it the other way around uh, mm. and, and i yeah, just grassroots
2: sort of exactly yeah. everything should be much more like that
1: yeah and as well do, doing it and they, they're doing it voluntarily they're, they're, they're not drawing any sort of money from what they're doing they're, they're giving their time freely i just think it's so inspirational and a real message to others about you know what real help in the community looks like mm. yeah mm. totally
3: yeah and they're looking to expand as well and that you know seeking any land landlords or property owners who might be able to provide them with somewhere else so you can have a second house mm. so can you talk a
1: bit more about what it is they actually providing with with this
2: yeah so they get um uh, they they live in a house a nice normal looking house in wheat and there's are supportive uh actual you know proper support not like a key worker that you just sit down and tick a box once a month like in some places i've worked yeah, so the it's for men only, um, just because that's how it's kind of come about, and obviously there are there is provision, you know, for women in other, under other places. But um,
1: well, I'm guessing they identified a need where they saw there wasn't somewhere f- yeah. for men,
2: and um, they go out shopping with the with the people that live there, and they 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 went to a trampoline park or something the other day, didn't they? They mm. do like fun stuff. They're they're allowed to go, you know, come and go obviously yeah, if they prison. please, but they um a couple of nights out of the weekend if they want yeah. to. But they ha- randomly do drugs tests and alcohol tests just to check that everyone's dry. We we dry meaning not using yeah. any substances or alcohol. Um and they're totally fine with that. The, the the people that live there, I met two of the guys that live there and um they were really, like, choking up almost when I spoke but to them. I think them they, f- they
3: almost feel like Sharon and Lynn are surrogate parents for them in a way. I think that's the way, you know, they were saying about these ladies, what they've done for them. You
1: know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and how, how do they choose who stays there? How, do you know how that works?
2: They just get referrals and um, they check... I, I, we didn't really go into that, did we? But it'll be the same as any other yeah, place. So they, they they'll meet up with them, have yeah. a chat with them, do a risk assessment, see if their needs are in line with everyone else mm. and then if offer them a place if there is. And they have to obviously like follow certain guidelines. And um,
3: It just, it, it you know, going along there, it just didn't feel like I expected to. It just felt so nice and warm and welcoming. Yeah, I sort
2: of deliberately didn't want to focus on that side of things because it when you start saying there's this rule and that rule and you'd have to do this Mm. and this is the type of tendency it almost like takes the homeliness out of it if you know what i mean yeah um but yeah obviously there there are rules they do have to follow they you know they pay rent that through housing benefit and
1: um i mean it's it's it's, it's if they do drink
2: or drug they get Eventually, they would be asked to leave because it has to be safe for all the other residents
1: yeah okay so so this is a, a great opportunity and and, and and a great um response to a local need helping young men who who are homeless who are looking for support mm-hmm. the, yeah uh, and uh and I think did I read as well that that they also then move them on to more permanent accommodation that they help them get something else yeah
2: they they can't they It will be that they work with local authorities, you know, they they sort of advocate on their behalf to get something. They don't have anywhere to provide them with ongoing, obviously, as a, you know, they're not, they're just two ladies. They're not like a big housing provider or anything. But um, that's the theory, is that then people, get move on to permanent accommodation. So... Um, presumably the local authority will see it as temporary accommodation where they are mm. and have them on the list you know as uh, for somebody in temporary accommodation yeah. i didn't that's go what into is that one of I the things i could find so out for a different sort of story one of
3: the biggest struggles is having an address you know you can use for um you know all these sort of things so they have somewhere that you know they, they get, get mail sent to and you know they can get they're on the system effectively so they can be you know that, am I right in thinking? Yeah, that? but I yeah. think
2: what Danny's saying is, to say if you're homeless and single, eventually you you might wait fifteen, twenty five years, or whatever. Mm. But eventually, you would be able to access somewhere through social housing, usually. Um, and certain places like Kent House and they have an agreement with the local authority that X amount of people will be housed per mm-hmm. year or whatever I'm not sure we've gone down that far it, with Hope House but the, the sentiment the idea is that yes they help them find someone. so it could even be like a private rented place but with housing benefit in yeah, place or something yeah. like that
1: okay uh, so they're looking for a second property at the moment Yep. Uh, and um, th- th- am I right in thinking they're doing an appeal to, that if anybody has a property that
3: they'd be that they'd be happy yes. to, um, yeah, because yeah, that's how they found this place. place. They just put something on social media and someone came It's just forward. a
2: regular landlord yeah. Yeah. that's yeah. renting it out and it has you know regular rents. Mm. Um, I think the guys, the guy where they live now, there's the landlord had a year up front, yeah, a years rent yeah. up front,
1: right? Yes, because um, yeah, so for, so for somebody with a property, this isn't about giving it away for free and, and you know no, it is, no. it is um, all funded isn't it and it's mm. funded through through the housing benefits
2: yeah it's just regular it's a regular But so you know how reg, normal regular people who can claim housing benefit they pay their rent they apply for housing benefit they get their rent back they pay it to the landlord
1: right okay yeah right um and yes yeah, so, so if uh, if people are interested we're going to provide the link for hope house's facebook page in the description of this podcast now uh, also uh, there's an email address if you if you think you can help at all it's hopehouse st albans at gmail.com uh, more information of course in the article that's on the hearts ad website right now mm-hmm. thanks for that laura uh, we'll have more a bit later Claire Hobber, our very own literary correspondent, is here with us, suggesting uh, more books uh, to to read for this month. Uh, and this month's theme is uh, books uh, rec- to do with uh, refugees. Uh, not not necessarily the cheeriest of of uh, titles, but these are so often can be quite uh, inspiring books. Um, you know to, to to read about how people have overcome such adversities, and and they certainly um, can can educate us and and give us a, an impression of something that we would have very little experience of ourselves, I'd imagine. I don't know if that seems fair, Claire Hobber.
4: Yeah, though, so these books are all immersive and, as I say, gripping because of the very real dangers that, that our protagonists have to come through. But the authors have also been kind to us, us as readers, and they all end positively. There's, there's hope at the end of each of these books. I don't know whether I'm spoiler here, but... Um, I think sometimes it's
1: important to know that because you might be put off by a book because you think oh that's really bleak but if you know that there's actually some sort of hope at the end of it that there it is an upbeat ending I don't think that's a that was necessarily a spoiler in and of itself
4: yeah all of them are upbeat endings not people sort of blowing parties with party poppers and uh, kazoo things but um but there's a glimmer of hope at the end of each of okay. them so the I next by the end you need <laughs> yeah
1: so the next book is the year of the runaways by sunjeev sahota
4: yes this was um again when i read this absolutely amazing to put myself in those people's shoes and I was just sharing with you that actually I don't appear to have this book anymore. And it must be because this is what happens to the very best books. I go, you have to read this to somebody else and then I never see it again. So I think that's what's happened to it. So if one of Um, Claire's
1: friends is listening now and you have this on your (laughs) bookshelf, shame on you. It's Claire's. Give it back.
4: (laughs) Yes, please. Uh, Or pass it on to somebody else who hasn't read it because we all could do with reading this. So I was talking about refugees. The guys in this book, they're actually from the Indian subcontinent and they are, in fact... Uh, what they call economic migrants but one of the great things about this book is it shows us how they're working now in a dilapidated shared house in Sheffield sharing this accommodation under very poor circumstances doing jobs like breaking up the fatbergs in the sewers so this is what economic migrants can end up doing which is just vile um, but it also goes into their back stories and I remember that being the thing that I really really took away from this how We kind of think economic migrants, they're looking for a better life. But actually, these guys were just looking for a life, particularly one guy called Toki, who was from the Untouchable cast. He really, I think his only choice was to stay home and slowly starve to death. So a lot of the time, economic migrants, they really, it's not like it's okay where we are, but we'll move for a better life. They really don't have much choice but to move. Otherwise, why would you? Why would you leave me home? behind security and your rights as a citizen your family you know so that's what really came home to me was the difficulty of the circumstances that these people left in order to break up fatbergs in our sewers
1: yeah um and and again i guess hearing about the their journey and and not just their physical journey but but you know the 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 journeys that that these characters make uh it, it can make for really kind of moving and inspirational reading can't it
4: yeah, very, hopefully, very far removed from our own lives. Things like um, working for somebody who then removes your passport and the the fear of who are you if you don't have your documents and you can't get any more, you can't get home, you can't do anything. So the insights as well into how um, people traffickers work and so forth, Very, um, very eye-opening
1: and for most of us again this is this is the sort of thing that, that we're never really likely to come into contact with and 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 therefore can make us incredibly ignorant to the struggles that other people face you know that that um you know people people aren't as fortunate as we are you know here in 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 Britain living the lives that we lead you know these things can often be so far removed from us and and I guess this is one of the great things of books in that that it can it can get us right into the heart of that situation and help us to perhaps see it from a different perspective
4: yeah and I think just like with Lydia who was a middle-class woman who suddenly found herself in that situation in the previous book um Avtar and Randy two of the characters in this book they're not actually untouchables they're not the poorest of the poor they're sort middle class Indians and circumstances change for them uh, in different ways but they are people that you can identify with they're not actually um, at the start of the book on their uppers but circumstances change that drive them to do desperate things and I guess that's part of the strength of these books that you have to imagine that actually but for the grace of God that could be me and it, you know and I think that as well. It's it's an education for our everyday life. So when you see somebody selling the big issue or sleeping on a cardboard box, that you go, do you know what? That could be me. And you do what you can to help. You know, it's um, uh, I, I think that's part of the work of these books that you suddenly realise that perhaps we're not as far removed from people in poor circumstances as we might be.
1: Mm. I was interesting to read about the the author. This is his second book, I, I gather. He's a British novelist uh, who was um. Hailed as a, a young author to watch back when this book came out, so this was a few years ago. Now he's less young now, but uh, still youngish. Um, but uh, but apparently he he never read a book until he was eighteen.
4: Yeah, it's, and then he read all the best ones. Yes, about India. Yeah,
1: he read he read um, a book by Salman Rushdie that inspired him apparently, and then from there he sort of made up for it. Um,
4: yeah, I believe he was a maths graduate, but a very clearly very bright polymath.
1: OK, so that's uh, that's the book, The Year of the Runaways by Sanjeev Sahota. Uh, the books that Claire recommends, along with anything else that, that is of relevance, is all in the uh, description of this podcast episode right now. And also on our website at St When we return, we'll have one more book choice from Claire Hobber. Hi,
4: I'm Elspeth Jackman, inviting you to listen to my podcast one to one with Elspeth. Find a local person with a story and I'll be there to draw out all those little details you want to know about. If I'm fascinated, so will you be. Each week I'll be talking to an interesting character who has a tale to tell. And the beauty of it is you can listen whenever you want to. To find the podcast, go to your podcasting platform of choice and search for The St. Albans Podcast. Alternatively, go to storbanspodcast.com slash Elspeth. That's One to One with Elspeth, part of the St. Albans Podcast in association with the Hearts Advertiser.
1: You never know, you could be my next guest. One more book from Claire Hobber and we are looking at uh, books uh, to do with refugees this month. And the final book choice is The Beekeeper of Aleppo by Christy Lefteris. Leftory?
4: Yeah, something like that. I started yeah, that and then
1: lost, lost my confidence partway through it. Leftery.
4: It's a Cypriot name because this woman knows what she's talking about. She actually is herself the daughter of Cypriot refugees. And she's worked at refugee camps. So it's a Cypriot name, Leftory.
1: Okay. Um, and uh, and yes, yeah, so the book is The Beekeeper of Aleppo. Um, on the face of it, it sounds like it's more to do with beekeeping than refugees. But obviously, you're about to correct me.
4: I guess if, if I had one criticism of the book, it's got a very attractive uh, picture. It shows beautiful old Aleppo and some gold decoration and so a bee. Um, and actually we see very little of Aleppo because as the book starts, our protagonists, Nuri, who is a beekeeper, and Afra, his wife, who is an artist, have realised that they have to leave. There have been too many shootings and too many bombs dropped and so many people they know have already now perished in the attacks on Aleppo that they are having to leave so I think the cover makes it look as if it's perhaps a more tranquil book than it is but this book follows their journey again I think one of the keynotes is no choice they really you know that if they stay they will die like so many other people that they know and that they have to leave and it follows their journey across tough land routes and um, being stuck in cities where they watch young people being picked off into child trafficking and prostitution and um, trying to gather the money so that they can set off in a leaky a leaky boat across the channel. Um, again, I have to say, you know that there is a lot of, there is cruelty and exploitation, but there's also a lot of kindness and the way that There are volunteers that help them. Migrants do everything they can to help one another and to support one another. So it's the full, I think what you see really in sharp relief is the full gamut of the way humans can behave to one another in these books. There's outstanding kindness and people endangering themselves and using their last penny to help one another. And there are also people who are um, waiting there in predatory fashion to take advantage of people who fall by the wayside. So it's... Very interesting from the human point of view.
1: Now that the setting in many ways sounds incredibly harrowing, but but I'm assuming once again that the, the, the book isn't a harrowing read. Would that be right?
4: Parts of it are harrowing, but again we have we have hope. I think much of the the, the worst things that happen to refugees are suggested rather than described. Um and we can fill in the gaps, I guess. But uh, I think none of these books would be readable if it wasn't about the protagonist. So we root for them, and a lot of the interest in it is getting to know them better. And to, whereas the other books have been, the backstory has been woven in with the main narrative and has been one of the main interests, uh, this one is different in that, the backstory actually provides a kind of mystery. And it's only really by the end of the book that we get the full backstory of these characters. And the reason is that they've been so traumatised that they haven't been able to face up to their own backstory. So there's this element of mystery. And it's only really at the end, when they're beginning to come to terms with their own, with what happened to them back in Aleppo, that they can actually begin to get better and move on. So Afra, the artist who's lost her sight, um, which seems to be a psychos- partly psychosomatic partly to do with the trauma that she 's been through by the end of the book she's beginning to see again, so as i say hope
1: um it's it appears to be incredibly well received by those who've read it so far and and it's got you know very good um rating ratings on various sort uh, of online places that do this sort of thing but um i not know somebody's made a criticism that there's not much beekeeping in it and they're really looking forward to something that included good nature writing and they, they, they've given it quite a slaying for that so if 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 you are looking for a book about beekeeping this may not be the one to go to first
4: that's so funny well it's sad really isn't it but as i say it's, it's a little it does does kind of go with the cover which is you would suppose from the cover that we were going to be in Aleppo with a beekeeper. So it's um, it's an amazing book. But possibly, again, it's this thing about um, the truth being unpalatable. Perhaps Christy Leftery was, was marketed, you know, in a kind of slightly softer and more attractive way than the book actually warrants, you know, which totally isn't her fault. But, uh, um, yes, yeah, so you might well buy this book thinking it was going to be a lovely uh, a lovely dissertation on, on beekeeping and a much gentler book than it turns out to be. <laughs>
1: okay so claire's final choice for this month the beekeeper of aleppo is by christy leftery and uh and yeah all those books are listed in the description of this episode right now and also on our website at st albans now uh claire you have uh another creative writing class to uh to share with us uh, that's coming up at the at, um books actually it's a few of them uh, so one of let's start with the the first one you've now, let's start with the one that's happening nearest, because there's one on the 19th of February, a dream country, an adventure in creative writing.
4: Indeed, yes. So um, this was supposed to take place a couple of weeks ago, but I got good old COVID. So it's now taking place on February the 19th at the Abbey, which is a great place to spend some time. It's really inspiring setting. And we are going to spend a couple of hours on the morning of the 19th, um, putting together different elements of place and people and an item which will spark a story in your mind we're going to put together a story that doesn't end with a neat ending but gets the reader to ask what if so it's just going to be a chance to let your imagination run riot and maybe to start something that you can carry on uh, the start of a story and that's why it's called dreamland because i'm encouraging people to actually start their dream, to really uh, start talking to their own imagination that morning.
1: And is this pitch just that experienced uh, creative writers?
4: Absolutely not. I would think that people at any level will be able to access this, the way I've structured it. So looking forward to meeting whoever comes and hoping that whoever comes will produce something that will be a little gem that morning.
1: Okay, it does say here it's for adults, so yeah, bear that in mind because Claire, in, in real life, can be quite coarse. Uh, some of the humor is quite vulgar. It's not really for, for, for those that are faint of heart. That, that's a fair comment, isn't thanks.
4: it? Thanks, thanks, Danny.
1: <laughs> no, not in the least, but but I but this is yeah, this is for adults who are interested in creative writing. Now, um, also though, very excited about this one as well. Uh, on in April, you have uh, coming up at Books on the Hill, um, creative writing essential skills.
4: Yeah, so Books on the Hill have been in the short time that they have been operating in St. Albans. They put themselves right at the heart of culture in St. Albans. They started to uh, run literary events, they got book clubs, and they have also recently developed their upstairs into this amazing uh, reading room, which is it reminds me of like a library, Dumbledore's Library in Harry Potter. It's very atmospheric, and that's where this course will be taking place. So, what better? place than to actually start looking at creative writing so this is more aimed towards beginners and we're looking at the essentials of creative writing things like whose point of view are we writing from who's telling this story and ideas like show not tell that you hear bandied about we're going to explore them and find out what it actually means for your writing so that course will be running on Wednesday morning starting in April I'm really
1: looking forward to that OK, Um and uh, yes, yeah, so that's the that's the 27th of April and it's running for four weeks. Is that right? Indeed. Yeah. OK, so that's 10 a.m. to 12 noon. And if you wish to book, you have to do it on their website. And I happen to know these sorts of things tend to fill up very quickly. So get in there now if if this is of interest to you. The link is uh in our uh, description uh, uh and also it's uh, it's on our website again. St Albans podcast dot com. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, books on the hill, which is at the top of Hollywell Hill and uh yeah creative writing essential skills if you're looking to dip your toe into the world of creative writing this is for you wednesday the 27th of april 10 a.m and then uh for the next four wednesdays um at the same time claire thank you for uh for coming uh on here and sharing with us once again uh, some of your some of your top um literary choices and um and yeah we look forward to catching you again same time next month
4: thank you danny look forward to seeing you then
1: one more news story now from laura and matt
3: right well um i don't know about you but when i'm out in the back town sometimes i might feel the call cool of nature and pop into an available public toilet um but there's going to be fewer choices um if um the council gets away because they want to close permanently the one in Verilonian park by the lake Um, It has been shut for some time because of flooding, but now they're saying they're not going to reopen it. Mm -hmm. But the other one, the key one, is the one in Spicer Street on the corner there, just Uh, next to
2: Centre Thirty Three. That's right.
3: Yeah, Yeah. they're saying that they're going to redevelop that for housing. Okay, interesting. Now we saw our postie uh, this morning. He said he pops in there every day. It's 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 you know really really helpful, and I guess you could you know go into coffee shops or go in the museum, but. There seems to be, a, you know, a move away from, you know, being offering sort of facilities like this. Well, coffee shops really wouldn't be a public toilet. No, I mean, no, you can they do really that, can do but it. But they wouldn't. They're not. You know, they don't like you to do it. No. Um,
1: so the museum have
3: is it the public toilet? Yeah, you go again, down the stairs, aren't yeah, you? Yeah.
1: Um, but but that's yeah. There aren't really any others, are there? No,
3: no, and not. You know, taking away the one in in Park. I mean, we spoke to Annie Brewster. She said, you know, the fact that. This is a location that TripAdvisor, you know, suggests you spend two or three hours. You know, it's unthinkable that there's not a public convenience there. And, you know, why oh, can't we oh, do at something? At, like, at, at the park, not at the, the toilet TripAdvisor
1: no. advising that for the toilet. So. <laughs> oh. Well, wow, they're scraping about.
3: No, no. But I think at the end of the day, this comes down to the council looking at their budgets because they've been massively squeezed due to COVID. Huge um, budget shortfall. They're looking at everything that... Um, where, you know, there's any expenditure. They're saying public usage is low at Spicer Street and the ones in Verilenium Park have been closed for 18 months because of the flooding and they've got no plans to do anything about them. So they're gonna, there is actually a big saving for them. And if I give you the figures, the um, so the total saving per year would be about £14,000 for the Verilenium Park ones and £12,000 for the other ones. So it's quite a lot of money. Go back in the coffers, you know, twenty five, twenty six pounds £26,000. It... It is a lot of money, but but you know, in the scheme of things, you know,
1: council in the council budget. I mean, that's that's a drop in the ocean, isn't it? I know. Because did I see something the other day that they've released some budget figures, and and there's is it over a million pounds for the the market depot, which is just at the moment holding old gazebo, yeah. old, you know, the old yeah. market stores, and that had a budgetary figure for something, and I'm sure it's something like one point four
3: million. Yeah, I don't see how they that. that- you get figures. Did, like have,
1: I the, have I got it right? I haven't seen it's, that. But. Oh, okay. Well, m- maybe I shouldn't have acted because it was read on a Facebook post. Somebody yeah. posted up that there was some recent budget thing that had been.
3: The thing about the budgets is, is you know, it's a lot of people move figures around. They associate them to different departments and they massage the books so that they can, you know, not to create any sort of fraud, but just because sometimes it's, you know, it, it, you know, you have to spread costs in a particular way. So, for example, like say say for the hearts ad, you know, there's a, there's two of us, and um, you know, you might think, oh, you know, all that money that they, you know, they're, they're bringing through advertising and think, yes, but a lot of the money that we we we, uh, we bring through through that, that sort of means has, goes to pay people at a group level. So my mm-hmm. boss, my boss's boss, you know, the, the group people in charge of distribution or social media, so everything gets spread out. So you know, the yeah, something like. In the markets in general, the costs go to you know will be given to people uh, at the council that might not be directly involved in the market. They just might be, you know, do payroll well or something like that.
1: Yeah, the uh,
2: postie's a bit worried, isn't he as
3: well? He is. He is very worried. Yeah, yeah. But, but but
1: I guess so what I'm trying to say is that that whilst on the face of it, twelve grand's an awful lot of money. You know, if, if you know you could employ a journalist nearly a week with that sort of money, but <laughs> but in in the council budget, that might be almost like a negligible. Amount, yes. you know. Yeah. i was just trying to think: Is it, are they really making like noticeable, worthwhile savings by not having those public conveniences? Yeah, um, it, and 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 do they not have some sort of obligation to have public well, conveniences? Yes, yeah.
3: Yeah, what you might argue. It's yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I mean, they're you know they're old fashioned, but they're you know they're still you know vital to some people. You know, especially people that you know maybe aren't as able bodied and can't get to you know mm. to other facilities as quickly as you know they might like. Okay.
1: So so any f- any sort of formal decisions nothing being made? Yet. No, nothing. But yet. but it's just a, it's it's being touted that they might yes, close indeed. both of those conveniences. Yeah okay well again i guess more news as it develops indeed all right well uh matt laura thank you very much once again for for bringing us uh, the the top local news in our area if you want to know more check out their website heartsad.co.uk and that's it for another edition of the st albans podcast uh, on uh friday we have the uh film guide with howard linsky acclaimed local author it says here also uh we have on sunday the bagman street baptist church virtual service with simon carver and then on monday another edition of one-to-one with Elspeth. Uh, we are back next week with uh, our um, volunteering uh, correspondent, Anna from Communities First. She'll be talking about the latest volunteering opportunities. Plus, we're going to be hearing about the St. Albans Land Train. Uh, so, we'll find out more about that uh, next time round. Uh, but if you want to find out more about the St. Albans podcast, we have a website, stalbanspodcast.com. And we're on the main social media platforms. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, where we are at St. Albans Podcast. See you soon.
0: Thanks for listening to this edition of the St. Albans Podcast with Danny Smith. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or a podcast platform of your choice. This will help us reach more listeners. Join us, the St Albans Podcast, next Wednesday for more news, views and reviews. In the meantime, commit no nuisance. Produced by Samantha Rolfe. Logo and artwork by David Ellis. This is an independent production in association with The Heart Advertiser. If you would like to become a community partner or a sponsor of the podcast, please visit stalbanspodcast.com for more details.